When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock we're about to launch into on a Monday. Uh, just maybe I've got some snap judgments from the first test in Wellington, which was a thoroughly enjoyable experience. A charming venue and an action-packed match. Test cricket moves fast these days. I met a stack of Australians over the four days. The funny thing is when we travel, we tend to travel in our footy gear. So it was sort of noted before that footy jumpers are a bit taboo when you're at home, but around the hills and the stands were scattered footy guernseys of every persuasion. There were caps and jackets as well. Ian Smith, Jeremy Coney and I had the rather unusual experience of signing a Wallabies jersey at the end of day three, which seemed particularly brave in those parts. Travelling for a test match is clearly a bucket list item for so many of you, and the rivalry against New Zealand remains vibrant on that front. First-hand account, Jared had the pleasure of attending the test at the Basin. I'm still in Wellington on a bleak day. Day five would have been a write-off. The Kiwis certainly put on a good test match. So many nice touches at the Basin. Great place to watch a test. Walking on the ground at lunch, superb. Being able to walk a full lap of the Oval, the local history plaques and pics and stuff around the ground, the cricket museum, even the viewing grills in the men's toilets in the outer so you can still see the play. Everything about the New Zealand-Australia rivalry felt vibrant except the competition itself. So when it comes to cricket, the Kiwis have a mental block against Australia. I think that's undeniable having seen it firsthand. And if we ever get smug about these things, we probably should think about the Wallabies suffering in the same way at the hands of the All Blacks. How else do you describe some of what we witnessed in the key moments at Basin Reserve? And unfortunately, it started with the captain. Tim Southey wilted. His tactics were disastrous. He dropped numerous catches himself. And his bowling, unfortunately, is now unthreatening as he heads towards his 100th test match. Australia has long had a method of cutting the head off the snake. They target the leadership and Southie put his neck on the block. And as for Kane Williamson, he remains under Australia's trance and he has been there for a long period of time. And they don't have the depth of player to be able to cover their two veterans if they're underperforming. It's a test match that will be long remembered for the deeds of Cam Green and Nathan Lyon. So in real time, you could see the coming of age of Green, the commanding presence that he's been at shield level, materialising in a test match, advancing, intimidating, dictating. He, he answered the question why Australia has been so committed to returning him to the team as soon as Dave Warner retired. And it was a concept that we pondered before the summer began. And it was also the first instalment in the necessity of making big runs at number four. That's not a place in the lineup for L plates. That's the domain of century makers. And Cam Green with two balls to go in the day's play is on 99. O'Rourke bowls to him. Green cuts. That's gold for Cam Green. He cuts the boundary and brings up his century for this day, for this test, but for the future. This is the coming of age innings.
Cam Green kisses the badge on his helmet and he stands triumphant, promoted to number four and he can't keep the smile off his face. And his grateful teammates rise to applaud. Probably equally as relieving as my first one. Um, yeah, I think just, yeah, mainly proud of kind of pulling the team to a reasonable total at the moment. So, um, yeah, still sinking at the moment. It's always satisfying scoring runs for Australia. Um, yeah, when you're not quite in the team, it does um, yeah, make you stop and think and how special it actually is to be playing for Australia. Sometimes you do forget that when you're playing so much. So, um, no, it's nice to be back. Cam Green, player of the match. Just edged Nathan Lyon, who took 10 for the tests. So his summer began with the accolades that accompanied his 500th wicket. Thereafter, the spinner's return returns were probably more modest than his standards tend to dictate, but he was superb in Wellington. It was his fifth 10-wicket haul in a match. He exploited the bounce and outwitted his opponents. So the two danger players in the lineup, his plans for Williamson completely undid the world's current number one batter, and he worked over the prodigious Ratchan Ravindra. The old fox simply too smart for the young Tyro who fell into a very well-exposed trap. Australia was ruthless with the ball, but but the issues with the batting I don't think can be totally ignored. There's an absolute determination not to allow any threat to engulf individuals. And the mantra is these are the six best batters and the six best batters are playing. And we hear it over and over. Faith is admirable and stability is desirable, but it has to be matched with results. Manus Labashain looks awful right now. No one doubts that he's working as hard as a sportsman can searching for his form, but it's not translating to the middle. He's all idiosyncrasies and twitches and he's no flow and he's no method. The schedule probably plays in his favour. I'm not for a moment advocating dropping him for Christchurch. He has to play there on Friday. And then there's no test cricket till November. But if he doesn't make runs in the meantime, he can't be endlessly guaranteed a place in the first test against India. His incumbency should hang on making runs in either county or shield cricket. Unconditional support, I think, can only last for so long. Labashane edging and he's caught at first slip. Cougar line strikes. And Labashane's long innings comes to an end with just one run to his name. Down the leg side, he's feathered it through. And the torture of Manas Labashane goes on. Blundell with a regulation catch. And Manus tucks the bat under his arm and makes this all too familiar walk in recent times. I think he'd be the first to admit he'd like to score some more runs. Um, and it's not through lack of trying in the nets. Um, I think particularly that second innings, just one of those ones down leg. Um, so, you know, we're very clear that, you know, these, these six guys are the six best batters in Australia. And um, although at times might not have clicked all together at once, the story of our team has been someone's been able to stand up when they need to. So really, um, yeah, everyone's going well. So that's the mantra. It, it, it's been dogmatic from the Australian camp. They don't want to undermine what's going on. But I think there's a vigilance required here as well. The chemistry in that batting lineup feels a bit off to me. The engine room hasn't been collectively pumping out the runs for a while now. And it's not going well enough to throw away an innings the way that they did on day three. 
Australia won't win anything against India if only one batter makes it beyond 50 and if one player is left to salvage the rest as often has as has become the trend across this summer. Winning covers a few sins, but you want to be vigilant with what lies beneath. Those are my snap judgments out of what happened in the test match. We'll talk about Will Pukowski's predicament as well as we work our way through this hour. Our cricket discussions are for Henley, paying $1,000 a month off your home loan for two years. Robert Craddock, all of his wisdom and experience, he foretold this. He foretold he's seen it for too long, is New Zealand's quiver in the face of Australia. Hello to you, Crash. G'day, Jared. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the call from... Uh from Wellington and, and the flavour of the ground that you brought through, just that beautiful, almost an old-fashioned cricket ground, it, it came through in the broadcast. But, look, it's a good point. I, I felt you, that's the key theme, isn't it? You said a mental block New Zealand uh, have against Australia. It's almost the size of a pyramid, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's just one test win in 32 tests. That's incredible. You know, I was reminiscing this morning with Ian Healy about a, a story we had in our book uh, written 27 years ago when John Wright used to come to the Australian dressing room and say, I love you guys. You guys are the absolute, absolute best. You know, I learned so much from watching you. And Hills would say, Wrighty, we've got to play you tomorrow. And he said, the thing is, Wrighty would go out the next day and make 80. Like, he could be two people, but the current team can't, Hill, uh, uh, Jared, they're not that good. You know, they, they they can't be inspired. They're not inspired by playing Australia. They're daunted, aren't they? They are, and they they had moments of opening. So it was perfect for the contest that they won the toss and sent Australia in, and they got them in a spot of bother and then couldn't quite close the deal on day one. It, it was the tactics at the start of day two, which were just daft in real time, not in hindsight, that just allowed Cam Green to control what two hours and 20 minutes of cricket and the, you could feel the sway in morale, not just the weight of runs on the scoreboard. And then that materialised as soon as they started to bat. And gosh, if you needed an emblematic moment, uh, the, the Williamson run out, just he and Young colliding with each other was dire. And the Williamson run-out summed up everything we say about Australia and New Zealand. I mean, Williamson is a juggernaut against weaker nations. And, you know, they caught, you know, they, they said he's almost Buddha-like in his, you know, his calmness. And to be run out in such a slapstick fashion, it would only happen to him against Australia. And we've said it before and we'll say it again. Against Australia, his average is now, I think, dipping below 40. It's not terrible. He's had his moments. But recently he's been poor, and against India and, and England, it's 36 and 37. So all the discussion about Williamson being this one of the greats of the game is fine, but as we so often say, when you compare the greats, you look at what they can't do to split them. You know, who who, who, did, who couldn't do this? And, and against the stronger nations, he has struggled, and but against Australia, you can feel it. And your point about Saudi's interesting, Jared. No one's actually said that. But before the test series, I spoke to a mate in New Zealand who's a net watcher, and I said, your biggest worry? And he said, Southie's pace is faded, and he said, it's just uh, worryingly slow. And I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, he's coming right to the end. And he said, it's okay having a fast bowler as captain. We could say, oh, he understands the bowlers, he understands this, he understands that, he's experienced and everything, and he's respected. 
But if a fast bowler is fading as a bowler, man, oh, man, he has got a lot going on inside his head. And I think you've spotlighted that very well, Jared. Some of his field settings, the way he let the game drift, that's a guy who's got his mind on a lot of things, particularly his own form. At the last ball of... Um, of the second day's play where he spent so long setting the field to remove Nathan Lyon and he got it right and then the edge came his way and he just wasn't ready. He wasn't concentrating and he dropped the catch and he dropped he dropped a couple of others, a court and bolds, which sometimes they're yeses and noes, but that was a player totally overwhelmed by his circumstance, I thought. Yeah, the one that he dropped last ball of the day, it slipped. I watched that on replay a couple of times and he had his hands on the top of his knees as he was waiting for the ball. As slips do, there's nothing wrong with that. But they took forever to get into position and I thought, you're just a split second behind where you should have been with that because you're thinking, oh, last ball of the day, it's a million to one coming to me. I'm standing here at second slip. And guess what it did? And it sort of... It would have allowed New Zealand to sing and dance their way off the ground. Yeah. He'd have thrown the ball in the air last ball of the day. Come on there, Tharifa. We'll get him tomorrow. You know, it, 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 you know, it would have had that vibe. Instead, it's, oh, you've dropped one. And, and they walked off with their shoulders down. But, yeah, it was um, – you could just tell it. And I don't know how they addressed that mental issue, Jared, because <laughs> one went out of 32 tests. Think of the biggest bogey in AFL – and multiply it by a considerable amount, and you've got Australia being New Zealand. Yeah, and the talent disparity is pretty wide as well. That That's one of Nathan Lyon's best, I think, is the pitch set up so perfectly for him against expectation, uh, and he did bowl beautifully. Oh, yeah, and, and I really enjoyed Dan Cherney's piece where he said, just spotlighted the fact that Lyon has won tests for Australia in nine different countries. I mean... That's incredible, like on spinning wickets, non-spinning decks, and basically with the same game plan, 31,000 balls bowled and no-no ball amongst them. He's <laughs> never once transgressed the front crease. And that says something, Jared. You know, he's a professional and he just – i he's got a sneaky confidence about him that he never used to have. And uh, you, you see it in areas like him saying, oh, I've got a little plan now for Kane Williamson. And the, the line of a few years ago wouldn't have been brave enough to say that, but he's very comfortable with the way things are going. And Pat Cummins is a quote where he said, well, when Lyon retires, I'm going to retire as captain. Yes. Sure. It, it, it was flippant, but I'll tell you what, he is Australia's most irreplaceable player. He really is. You know, we, we, we can fit another quick in there if something happens to the quicks. You put Boland or someone in, something happens to the batsman, there'll be someone there. You know, Bancroft, one of these boys... But in terms of Lyon, and I know people say Todd Murphy, but, you know, it's, wow, it's incredible, really. So test 128, uh, and you can make the case that the veteran, well, he's certainly getting cleverer, that he might even be getting better. So that, that idea of longevity, which has been redefined in modern cricket, we've seen it graphically with Broad and Anderson as quicks. What about in a spinner? Um that maybe the imagination does stretch to... I thought the 700 goal was a bit of a reach when it got said, but I'm starting to think I might have shortchanged him. Well, it's... Look at all the factors, Jared. A, he's fit. B, yes, I know he did get injured in England, but before that he's played 100 tests in a row, so he never gets injured. 
There's no wear and tear naturally on his body. He's up for the contest. He's not exhausted by the T20 uh, circuit because he doesn't play it. There's probably less test cricket being played, so he can get up for the contest. I mean, I can see him. There's no stretch at all to imagine him bowling until the age of 40 because he enjoys it so much. So, you know, it's... Uh, and and he, his last 100 wickets have come at an average of 22. He's, for his test average is, is just over 30 and will probably finish in the 20s, which is a major achievement for a spinner. And, I mean, you think of him perched up there over 500 wickets and then you go all the way down to Australia's next off spinners who took less than 150 wickets. He left them behind 10 years ago. This is incredible. And do you know what, Jared? I have to say this. I still can't quite understand his genius. Yes, I know he goes over the top of the ball and gets bounce. I know that. And it gets up towards their batsman's gloves and he gets bat pad. But he, there's no... He doesn't finger flick the ball. He doesn't have a doosra or anything like that. Like, he's the most uh, unmysterious, mysterious <laughs> bowler, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but, I do. But, like, I'm trying to... Like, if you went and say, what's this guy's genius? Oh, well, he uh, hits the same spot all the time. He gets a bit of bounce. But, yeah, but that that's normally enough to take you 20 test wickets, Jared. He's yeah. taken over 500. Like, I I, I can't quite explain Nathan Lyon. I, I really can't. How significant was the green innings in your eyes? Oh, well, it just – there was one quote he made about four months ago when he was batting at the Gabber and Shield game at number four and just dominated – and, and he, he's so unassuming, the kid. But after it, he said, I, I just find when I'm batting number four, something sparks inside me. I, I just, I prefer it. I can control a game. And he said, when I'm batting at number six after Travis Head, I, I feel a, a smaller man because Travis is hitting balls everywhere. And I'm thinking, God, I can barely get off the square. Yeah. And so that emotion really, like, he suddenly he's his own man. That's what moved to four is. He wanted to, I love the fact he wanted to bat there. Because some of the players say about Green, because he's such a lovely, unassuming kid, like when he gets out, he sometimes goes back to the dressing room. If he fails and sits there, he looks the most miserable guy in the world. And the guys say, you feel like shaking him and saying, Greeny, you're going to be a star, mate. Spark up. Come on. Let's feel it. But I quite like that undemonstrative element to him because he's so sincere and, you know, there's quite enough people out there on Instagram and social media telling us how good they are and he's bashful <laughs> green, just plotting away and he's the, probably a once-in-a-generation player. Um, really significant. And you know what, Jared? And you, you spotted this too over there. His batting made him a better bowler. He, some of his short balls were oh, terrific. Yeah. Wow. And, and there was an extra 3 or 4K, I reckon, put on his bowling by how well he batted. Like, he was thinking, right, I'm feeling good, I'm letting loose. It could have been the other way. He could have been tired. But you're looking at a kid finding himself, and it's it's quite good because as Smith and Labouchain plateau, and we, you and I had them anchored in as the, the link men to the next generation, mm. as they plateau, we need Cameron Green to be the player he was in Wellington. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock. He's reaching a point now where this conversation must be quite serious. Uh, they're carting around people like Renshaw. They've got other people knocking down the door playing very good shield cricket. If those people aren't realised and given an opportunity to replace a player who is clearly out of sync with his own game, 
Um, and and if, uh, then what's the point of that level of cricket, to be perfectly honest? You do well, you get rewarded. I know that he lives and breathes to bat. He absolutely deplores the thought of getting out. So he's going through torture at the moment. Uh, technically, he looks all at sea. I think he's, there's too many movements in, in what he's doing. He's, uh, he's overcomplicating it. He's looking for reasons why, instead of saying, when I was going really well, and when I was prolific, and he was for a while, what was I doing then? What have I done differently? He, he is, to me, he's quite a complicated sort of a dude yeah. when it comes to batting, and sometimes that can be a real enemy for him. Ian Smith ran the analysis and the tortured case of Manus Labuschagne. Grant gets right to the heart of it. Labuschagne is the definition of paralysis by analysis. Robert Craddock, how deep is the trough for Labuschagne now? Yeah, deep. And, Jared, towards the end of this domestic season, uh, quite a few of the cricket writers, uh, I saw people sort of say, gee, you both have got a bit lighter on the Manus Labuschagne form slump. And I think that criticism is correct. And I'll only I'll put my hand up because he was just getting the occasional 60. Yep. And, and then, but it has crystallised in New Zealand. And he averaged 32 for the year, which is, it's, it's not great. But, 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 but his test average has fallen by 10. Paralysis by analysis, it's such a good word. And it is the truth. The guys that live, breathe, drink cricket three meals a day and then after that, they... they Labuschagne is a perfectionist, so he's always tinkering. I heard someone say, gee, this break will do him good between the New Zealand test and the India test next November. I disagree. Manus will come up with two million new theories during that time, and he won't know which ones to trust. So, yeah, it is an issue. Remember a couple of years ago when we were writing how lucky he was? Yep. Well, that luck has evaporated. And it was an important part of why he was doing well. So some people think this is the real Manus Labouchain that's averaging in the, in the mid-30s. And what we saw during that his lap of the gods for two or three years was just Guy having an incredibly you know, good run. But I think the real man is somewhere in between. He will never be what he was in those two or three years, but he's better than he is at the moment. Just everything's an edge outside off stump. His second inning, you could see the angular bat, Jared, and they fish for it now. They ask for it. They just do that fourth and fifth stump line. And uh, it's a brutal game for him at the moment. I'm pleased, Jared, he's taken up golf because, and, and you know this from your time on tour, the great players invariably just have one simple thing in common, and I'm talking about everyone, uh, all of them, they find a way to get away from the game. Glenn McGrath used to go on safaris. Matthew Hayden loved his cooking. Ricky Ponning loved his golf. Mark Waugh loved going to the races. Stephen Waugh loved sightseeing, but they got away from cricket, and that's what you have to do. And he hadn't been doing that. Now, that's why I think it's good that he's playing golf, and I think it'll help him. But Smithy's commentary was fair. I mean, it, you, no one's guaranteed forever. The, the side's been winning. It can carry him at the moment. But you wouldn't want to lose the first test against India next season and Marnus makes four and two. I know he's got credit points in the bank, Jared. Uh, uh, he has. You know, he, he's averaging just below 50. He's not Cam Bancroft or one of these guys who's averaging 25. So he, they know he can do it. Well, they don't know that Bancroft can do it. They, so, and, and, and that's why, that's his ace. And there's limited opposition behind him, isn't there? So, your thoughts? It's, so, this goes to the overall chemistry of the batting lineup for me, which is just not right at the moment. You can, I feel like you can see it and you can feel it, 
whether you can exactly define it. Because the the head marsh, marsh risk reward equation is so high and the rewards are off the charts that it doesn't really allow for the top order collapsing routinely. Having a bloke out of form at three in that lineup, when you've got an, an aging opener who is getting, uh, he, he's edging towards stodgy Kawaja. You've got Smith who isn't yet settled at the top of the order. And and there's still, I still think there's that question is, is he a better asset for Australia where he was previously or is he a better, better asset there? So he facilitates Green at four. And Carey feels a bit streaky at the moment. So I just, I watched on day three thinking this batting lineup didn't really have the luxury just to throw an innings away like that. And I don't think incumbency can't last forever. I totally get the mantra in this cricket environment around don't let instability in the walls. Um, The six are our six and that's what we, but it can't last forever. And Manus will need to find runs, I think, before November. Yep, yep. Oh, I, I, I don't. I, I know what you mean. <laughs> to succeed, he will. But I've got him in that first test team yeah, against yep. India regardless. I, I, I've got him first two tests. But just, just because, honestly, who's going to tip him out? I mean, I, I can't have Bancroft, Renshaw, uh, you know, Pukowski's fighting now. So... But you're quite right. Marsh and Head beside each other. They're the thrill seekers, aren't they? They're iffy, they're chancy. Um, <laughs> but they're but the great rewards there if they come off. I don't mind Smith as opener, but we've got to redefine what we're expecting of Smith. If he averages 37 as, as an opener, I reckon he's done a, a reasonable job there. Kawaja, I don't mind what he's doing. Yeah, he is a bit stodgy at the moment, but his bankability in a volatile top six, he gets, and he's had this incredible run of scores between 25 and about 47. But hey, guess what? As an opener, I'll ta- I'm taking that from a 37-year-old, you know? So I haven't got any issues at all with him. And it's tough. That that wicket was tough the other day. I mean, that nearly won the test, I reckon, Kawaja's first morning, you know, defiance. So... Um, but yeah, they're, they're, isn't it funny? In every test this summer, Jared, Australia has looked vulnerable and gettable at some stage, haven't they? Two against the Windies, three against Pakistan, one against New Zealand. Now they're not massively high name opponents, but in every test there was a slip on a banana peel and a moment of vulnerability. And uh, this series against India next year, next season, Jared, I, I just cannot wait for that. It's yeah. just going to be stupendous. <laughs> they won't get out of those spots against India, so that that's the bit around the planning. Uh, I want to talk the Will Pukowski incident with you in just a moment's time. Here is Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. So the worst moment of the weekend to any sports was Will Pukowski getting struck yesterday in Hobart. It is a concussion. He was substituted out of that game in the uh, in the time that followed. Uh, the concussion committee, I'm sure, will play a role from here. But Crash is that, that crossover century at Shield level barely a week ago. And how Pukowski spoke about that being that the new beginning for him. Uh, then he's he's sort of grabbed by the old here, isn't he? Oh, Jared, a- a- absolutely. And I think of that podcast where two things he said, I'm on top of it now, finally. I'm on top of it. And the second thing is I categorically don't have an issue with the short ball. Now, 
There was nothing uh, especially brilliant about that short ball from Riley Meredith. Sure, he's quick, but uh, he would have been expected to play it. And I just think, uh, you know, how close are we now to the end of the road? Uh, and I say that I'm not criticising Will. I'm concerned for him, Jared, because you get to a point where it almost becomes a duty of care of people in cricket to, 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 to make the right call with his future. I mean, can I ask you this, Jared? If Will Pukowski was an AFL player and he'd suffered 13 concussions, would he still be playing the game? Yep. I, I don't know the AFL concussion rules. But... Yeah, so he would be subjected to the independent concussion assessment. So I could give you the two case studies which are running parallel at the moment is Nathan Murphy at Collingwood, yes, Angus Brayshaw at Melbourne, no. So there's sort of that, there's an imprecise nature. There's an, this is a, it is emotional, isn't it? It's my heart aches for him, but there'll be a degree of this that is immediately out of his hands. Oh, exactly. And we, we must be reminded, Jared, cricket is a non-contact sport. That's 13 concussions in a sport where you're not supposed to get hit by the ball. Like, it, it's just, which is incredible. And, and the other complicating factor, which, which not a lot of people think of, but it is a factor, bowlers bowling to him. And I know they do stress about it. You know, it's the law of the jungle. If you turn up and you bat, the opposition is entitled to do whatever game plan uh, which makes you the most vulnerable. And against Will Pukowski, that's short pitch bowling. They are most entitled to do it. But, the, you know, you could almost, you could see Riley Meredith when that happened, how, how bad he felt. So I, I just think it, it complicates so much of the game. And uh, Paul Will, I can't think of another case like it. Has he got the ability to be a test player? Categorically. He played one test, looked at home. He's been, uh, you know, wonder kind who's come through a 360 degree game. The game itself is the least of his challenges. But I just, I can remember being somewhere five years ago when Will was hit and, you know, Cricket Australia official quietly said to me, gee, I, I, I think that's probably the end. And this was five years ago. Manfully, Jared, he has battled through. But it does come to a point where how much can, can one young fella stand? And, uh, and I say that with immense sadness. I really do. Yeah, we know he's been to the cusp of retirement in, in recent times. And then, yes, two concussions in, uh, in three games. So... Yeah, as Tasmania's just beaten Victoria by 57 runs, so they returned on day four. Victoria had two wickets in hand. It was That was a wild game. Tasmania, um, 240, Victoria, 106, and then Tassie, 307. And in the chase for, what was it, 447, 444 maybe, um, made 384. So not to be for Victoria, Tasmania getting the result there, and that will further their lead on the shield table. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock. Our cricket updates for Henley Mortgage Fund, $1,000 a month off your home loan for two years, all backed by Henley's $7 billion parent company. We might stray to a bit of rugby league in Vegas. And the Kia ad, which has got the who's who of Australian sport in it. If you're a true great, you feature in this in this new ad, what would the talent budget have been? This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. We're coming back. This is just the foundation. It's like building a house. You've now done the foundation. We've sent a benchmark. We've got to improve from here next year. But the results are got to be coming through with American viewers. So we'll be interested to see how we went on Fox 1 tonight, how many viewers we got. 
Um, we need to see how many subscriptions we sell to you know, watch NRL. But it's not going to happen in the, in the 12 months. It's going to take three or four years. But I am now more confident than ever that we can make tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for the game that will go back into grassroots. Peter Volandi's pitch for world domination on Fox League yesterday in Vegas. Robert Craddock, how significant a day for rugby league was it? I love that joke. World domination. <laughs> yeah, not quite world, oh, but very significant. Look, it was successful, and, and, and you must remember a, a part of their success will be getting the gambling dollar. And, and so that's not necessarily something you can see or feel. It just happens behind the scenes. I like parts of it, Jared. Like there's a real excitement about starting the season there. All the clubs want to do it now. It's a nice way to start your season. Tick. The push to recruit American players for the NRL, tick. You can get three or four, just like Mason Cox. They're beautiful stories. I mean, Mason went on 60 Minutes in, in, in America. Like, I, I like that part of it. The part where I feel it soars into territory where it's, it, you know, you struggle to, to, to believe is that, that America is going to really take to rugby league as a sport. You know that Americans love American sport. They don't care about anything else <laughs> too much, really, do they? I mean, the World Series baseball is an American competition, but it's called the World Series because to them, there's only one world. And you know who that is? It's America. <laughs> so it's, it's notoriously hard to crack. Uh, cricket is a sneaky chance because there's four or five million Indians there. So you've got a captive audience. And I've always, if I could have one wish as a cricket writer, it would be that cricket cracks the states because I think it can. It's hard for league to do it. But even if it only stayed what it was in Vegas, and Andrew Voss will give you the inside story from over there. I know he's coming up on your show. Um, it, 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 with a glistening little four or five years well, it's, it's, it's a good adventure and worthwhile because it gives the game a bit of sparkle, even though the events of yesterday were tarnished by a racism uh, when a, a, a rooster forward called Spencer Lanou uh, allegedly called Ezra Man a monkey. So that's very, very serious stuff. What's the and status it, of that crash this morning? Well, uh, Volandis has come out and said, we abhor, we abhor racism but let's just l let justice take its course and see what happens. I'd imagine he'll be summoned to a hearing. Uh, Trent Robinson, the Roosters coach, said that, yeah, um, Ezra said it, that doesn't mean it's true. Uh, by unfortunate coincidence, the two teams, the Roosters and the Broncos, were staying on the same floor of the same hotel in Las Vegas and exchanged words when some of the Broncos players were informed about a radio interview that Lanou did where he said, oh, it's just fun and games, it's just part of the game. He didn't deny it, see, right. when he was talking to Brent Reid. So, Jared, I, that was a horrible look, I've got to say. And um, Jonathan Thurston, the famous Indigenous player, blew up about it. Uh, he feels so strongly about it. He, he blew up about it on air. Uh, Latrell Mitchell jumped strongly in man's corner. And I'm telling you, Jared. This is an extremely serious situation for rugby league because there's a lot of Indigenous players in all teams and they're watching closely. They've heard this sort of rubbish before um, and, you know, they uh, th their fuse is very short with it. And uh, I know there was no fisticuffs between the Roosters and the Broncos 
on that hotel floor, but some very sharp words exchanged, apparently. All right, we'll keep tabs there. So just as we close, Crash, is the pecking order of Australian greatness in sport set by this Kia ad, which features everybody from Buddy Franklin to Ash Barty to Damien Oliver to Steve Waugh, to Kerry O'Keefe at the end, to Dylan Alcott. It, it, have we got our pantheon? <laughs> I think we have. And the question remains, who's the most popular? Who's the, who's the figure who crosses borders and who is universally loved? Do you call it, I don't know, the ash? Do you call it the Barty? <laughs> I've got a soft spot for the skull. Um, uh, your choice. Buddy Franklin, does he look... F- uh, terrific in a cowboy outfit. <laughs> Very natural, you but, think? But, yeah, but I, I will say this. The best story is Kerry O'Keefe. Yep. Uh, I mean, that guy, Kerry O'Keefe, spent about 30, 20, 30 years in the wilderness uh, when he there was no one hired him as a commentator and when he came back on the scene, the, he's, the joy and the vitality, and there's two of him. You know, he's the class clown. He's also the librarian. As mm-hmm. we speak, he would be sitting in his house in Carlton in Sydney watching a video replay of the New Zealand test looking for some little flaw or something. It's a heck of a story, Jerry. Crash, lovely. Always good to tap your wisdom and experience on a Monday morning. Thanks a lot. I've loved it. Thanks, Jared. See you next week. Robert Craddock, All Matters Cricket and Beyond.